No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how to boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. Let's go. Good evening, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are. It's Monday night, apparently, here on the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, tonight's recommended drink is cheap box wine. Tonight's recommended snack is bland brand no-name crackers. This is the official wine and crackers broadcast here on D-Life. Thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Yes, yes, I'll explain everything. <laughs> It's an absolute pleasure to see you there, in theory. It's uh, Thank you so much for being with us here live. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many people will fool. <laughs> if you want to become a full-time supporter of the show, then please, by all means, head to patreon.com slash boogiebumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to complain about me not being here live, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogiebumper. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to leave a tip during tonight's proceedings, the preferred method is, of course, dlive.tv slash boogiebumper, or you can hit the link down here, streamlabs.com slash boogiebumper. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had a wonderful weekend because I certainly did. In fact, I'm still having a good weekend. Um, as you may or may not know, I'm not here live tonight. Tonight, this is a pre-recorded show. We're having some work done at the house. There's guys running around. There's power tools and stuff through the week. So I, I have no opportunity to stream live, but I didn't want to not do a show. So I've pre-recorded these episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for you. And... Here we are. <laughs> so I, I, it's it's weird feeling because I haven't done a pre-recorded show for, God, since like the first few podcasts. And I think we're up to like 260 or 270 episodes of the podcast now. And they've all been live for at least 200 of them, probably more, maybe 210, 220, something like that. So it's quite a strange feeling to be here without you. But I have some dynamite stuff that I have to get through anyway. Um... And I, I hope you'll enjoy it. And by the way, if you're a podcast listener, you can find the podcast on iTunes or Podbean or any other podcast player. Uh, this won't make any difference to you whatsoever. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the exact same thing. So thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, just a quick little announcement. Ben K Veritas on Twitter, at Ben K Veritas, has started a Daily Boogie Telegram room. I know a few people wanted one. So if you want to get an invite to the Telegram room, I don't know what's going to go on in there. It might be okay. Maybe I'll share links in there or something. Maybe there'll be conversations. A few people have already joined. Maybe it will descend into an orgiastic, bloodthirsty, uh, self-culling exercise where people just create drama and start hating one another. And then private, you know, hopefully private snaps of the Telegram room will be shared on other websites. And they'll say that you're all white supremacists and awful people. So if you want to be a part of that... <laughs> Then get in touch with Ben K Veritas and he'll fix you up with the link. So much to get through, so little time. First of all, I wanted to bring you this article, as you can see on the screen here, because, you know, race is at the forefront of most conversations now, courtesy of modern society culture and the corporate media, ladies and gentlemen, with the Black Lives Matter movements going around the world. And maybe now is the time on us as employees and employers to really look inward Maybe it's time for us to start thinking about how can we start making the world a better place? And when I start asking these kinds of existential uh, existential questions, there's only one place I head, and that's the BBC, because they know. The BBC knows. Top 10 tips for diversifying your workplace. This will be good, huh? Are you, do, you, do you often roll into work and go, hmm, if only there weren't so many white people here? If only there were more ethnic minorities working here, then I would feel comfortable. Is that you? Don't worry, we've got you covered here on The Daily Boogie. We bring you the important stuff. Yes, the very same BBC that a couple of years ago came under fire for advertising for a certain position. I think it was a producer and maybe on-air talent and specifically stating in the job advertisement that if you're a white person, don't bother applying. <laughs> 
We, we're not interested. We, we have enough whites. Thank you so much. We're not interested. We've got to fill our quota. So if you're a white guy, especially if you're a white guy, but also if you're a white woman, sorry, no job for you. We can't have you here. So these are the experts when it comes to making sure different races get on well, obviously. Top 10 tips for diversifying a workplace, courtesy of the BBC. How can businesses move to better represent their customers and workforces following the cultural shifts aided by Black Lives Matter movement? Advertising boss Karen Blackett, OBE, who was made race equality business champion. (laughs) The race equality business champion. (laughs) I don't know. Was there a race? Was there some kind of tournament? Maybe like a decathlon of different events? Was there a swimsuit section? How does one become the race equality business champion? Oh, well, the mysteries of life. Uh, She was awarded this very prestigious award that I had no idea existed up until about three seconds ago by the former Conservative Prime Minister of the UK, Theresa May. There you go. Woke Theresa. Thank you so much. How could we have moved forward in today's world without allocating a race equality business champion? (laughs) Well, you're in luck because she's going to share some of her wisdom with us. She has a series of tips for bosses seeking to tackle racism and diversify their firms. Ms. Blackett is the UK manager of advertising giant WPP and UK CEO of media investment firm Group M. She's got two jobs. She's working very hard. So the first tip here on the list, watch out for microaggressions. Quote, I think it's people just not even realising what they're saying. People have said to me, with your skin tone, you can get away with that colour. That's that's bad. You can't say that. You're not allowed to make comments like that. That's a microaggression. You know, sometimes women will, when they think about like what, what hair, what, you know, what hat should I wear to the races or what dress should I wear or what shoes should I wear? What kind of makeup should I put on? Um, I'm no makeup artist, but I've always assumed that one's pigmentation is a necessary part of balancing up the female fashion decisions, right? I mean, if you're a very, very pale person, you might wear a different lip gloss or a different lipstick to somebody who has very dark skin. But apparently... Pointing out that reality is now a microaggression. And complimenting somebody by saying, wow, with your skin tone, that looks great on you. (laughs) I beg your pardon. How dare you? No, no, big smacks. Or a comment about the size of your lips. She could take shares out in those. It's like a mosquito bite. It's annoying and it itches, but you can live with it. If you have another and then another and another all on the same arm, by the end of the day, you've got an arm that's quite painful and quite swollen. And that's what it feels like if you keep getting those tiny little put downs day after day. Reminder, she's the CEO and the boss of two global companies. Look at your phone is tip number two. I always ask senior leaders to tell me the four people you have in your phone that you contact most often from a work perspective. <laughs> now look at the next four people. So we have to go the first, the, the foremost four people in your phone that you contact the most for work. Then you have to go to the next, I guess the B team, the minor leagues of work contacts. Look at the eight people and now start telling me what these people are like. She continues... And if they're similar to you in terms of background, social class, and race, none of us are doing enough. (laughs) Yeah. It's very silly. Very silly of you. So, So if you just, let's say that you live in a predominantly white town, like let's say it's like a mining town or something, right? So you live in a mining town. You run a mine and there's it's like a 95% white population working there. You all come from the rel- a relatively same background, right? If you look through your phone and the eight people you contact for work are you know, living in the same space as you, have the same background and the same socioeconomic background as you, you're the problem. <laughs> That's racist. And, you know, 
I'm not a rich guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I can imagine why rich people mix with rich people. I mean, if you're the CEO of a company, right, how often are you calling the janitor, for example? If, if you're on the board of directors of some tech company, how often do you call the cafeteria staff and just ask them about their day? Maybe you should. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Did you hear about the new cafeteria manager that we hired? No. Why would I hear about that? Isn't somebody else in charge of that? No, no, sir. I think you should. I think I just want to let you know they're black. Oh. Get their number. Tell them to give me a call. Lord knows I need more black people in my phone. <laughs> Let's get on this immediately. Do you want to invite them up for coffee? <laughs> Maybe they want to come over on the weekend, have a barbecue? Sir? Well, I, <laughs> you know, we're doing our best here to tackle racism and diversity. I need more black people on my contacts list. Otherwise, everyone gonna, everyone's going to think I'm a racist. Can't have that. BAME is too, bo- uh, too broad a category. What the hell is BAME? Yes. No, not Bane. Bane. Maybe Bane is Bane's woke brother-in-law or something. How many Africans do you have in this plane? The fire iron. What's really important is understanding the differences. Even between African and Caribbean. Understanding the differences and what the pressure points are and triggers are so that you can address it. And I always talk about how important data is, and that's really drilling and mining the data, not lumping it together to get an average. Meanwhile, in the previous point, she just said, if you have people, if your eight contacts are similar to you in terms of background, social class and race, you're not doing enough. (laughs) And now in the very next point, we're concerned about lumping people in together. (laughs) Here I was thinking that just because I have the same race, and uh, socioeconomic class is another guy. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're the same kind of person, but apparently it does. Also, stop lumping people in together. They're individuals. <laughs> this stuff is just... I don't, know. I, I, I don't know how this doesn't turn your brain into custard over a long enough time frame. Don't worry about it. Because point number four, we'll fix it all up. Get past uncomfortable Stop being uncomfortable, guys. <laughs> That's the other thing. They want to tell us all the time that you need to feel uncomfortable. Remember the head coach of the Spurs a couple of years ago? Well, if white people are uncomfortable, that's a good thing. We want people to be un- We want white people specifically to be uncomfortable. You know, not being racist is not good enough. You need to feel like shit as often as possible. That's the only way we're going to change this. Well, the only way we're going to turn this around. <laughs> the article continues. Unless we're comfortable talking about race and making it part of our everyday vernacular, you have to talk about this every day. <laughs> every day, non-stop. As much as possible. Race, racial, racial issues, social justice. It makes you wonder, when, when are you going to find the time to get your work done at this workplace? I don't know. Sit around talking about racism all day. Unless we're comfortable talking about race and making it part of our everyday vernacular, it's going to be the elephant in the room every single time. So if you're not talking about it all the time, you're outwardly ignoring it. We've all got to get comfortable talking about race. But this is the problem, right? When When certain people comfortably talk about race, other people say, you're not allowed to say that. Right? When some people comfortably talk about race and things like, I don't know, crime statistics, for example, just for example, if somebody were to come out and talk about race as it pertains to IQ or crime statistics or something of that nature, they would be shouted out of the room. Meanwhile, they simultaneously tell you that you need to be comfortable talking about race, stop feeling uncomfortable whilst they are making you feel uncomfortable for talking about race. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I love this shit. It is a closed loop of logic that cannot be broken. It cannot be penetrated. If you're wondering why we can't get anywhere with this, how about this theory? 
The reason why nothing improves is because the cause is the same as the solution. And anybody who, anybody who deviates from that, like I said, closed loop of thinking, that the cause is the solution and the solution is the cause, and you just keep going back and forward, back and forward, round and round. Anybody who deviates from that is instantly banished from the circle of, of love. So only people who agree with the constant looping around of the illogical arguments are allowed to keep talking about it. Anybody who doesn't is not allowed to speak. But we've got one black CEO in the FTSE 100, so it's something that you have to get comfortable with. It's something you have to talk about. See, many people at the workplace would, I think, would be more than comfortable talking about race. <laughs> the only problem is, are you going to be comfortable hearing what their opinion is about race? I suspect not. But hey, what are you going to do? Got to be uncomfortable, right? Got to be uncomfortable. Treat diversity like a business issue. If you had a business issue, you would absolutely drill down and look at where you can improve and where you have targets and how you can set them. You break it down and you address it and you focus on it and you have a strategy for it. And actually, more diversity is a huge solution to so many business issues that we all have. See, diversity is the solution to all of the problems. It's the only thing that can fix it. Where you can source growth and have real opportunity to leap forward. We do that with any other business metric, and this should be exactly the same. It would be nice if we got some example, though, wouldn't it? How about some, she was talking about raw data before. I love data. You've got to drill into the numbers. How about some raw data and numbers explaining why it's more profitable for a company to hire somebody based on skin color than it isn't? Can we get some evidence of that? Two people come in with the exact same qualifications. One's black, one's white. Why is it better? Why is it more profitable? Why does it solve problems to hire the black guy instead of the white guy? Explain that to me. And if you have a problem that can only be solved by hiring a black guy over a white guy, I would think that that's a you problem and not a we problem. Use targets, <clears throat> use targets and reporting. If you look at gender, we have seen how the Davies report and the Hampton Alexander report were a catalyst to organizations doing more to make sure that they had more senior women on their decision-making boards. We've also seen how the gender pay gap reporting has made organizations really analyze and focus on the data. Here's the data again. And focus on what proportion of our business is female. Yeah, speaking of the gender pay gap, I can tell you that uh, certain blue collar jobs here will actually pay women more per hour to do the same job than the men in order to, uh, because they have government contracts. So in order to get the government contract, they have to, do, they have to write in a whole bunch of conditions now, ridiculous conditions like they are they are actively seeking gender equality in their workforce. Now, this might be a team of guys who put bitumen down on the fucking roads at two o'clock in the morning, right? This might be a predominantly male endeavor, you know, getting dirty, working nights, pouring hot tar on roads, okay? So in order to satisfy the government requirements, in order to get the big juicy government contract, they need to hire a certain amount of women. And in order to address the pay gap, they have to pay the women more per hour. I'm not joking. They pay the women more per hour, like two or three bucks more per hour than they do the men in order to satisfy the requirements of getting the government contract in the first place. Isn't that great? That's a quality, baby. Hmm. We've seen how legislation can help businesses focus. You've got to focus in on these issues. I don't believe in overloading businesses with lots of paperwork and reporting. <laughs> I don't believe in overloading businesses with paperwork and reporting. I do believe in businesses actively seeking to eliminate microaggressions and having CEOs check their phones to count how many black people they know, though. <laughs> but enough with the tedious paperwork. The more time we spend on paperwork, the less time we have for social justice. I think it's something we should do. Go further than unconscious bias training. The unconscious bias training doesn't go far enough. I believe that unconscious bias training is hygiene. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. 
I would rather a guy take a shower before he comes to work than uh, analyse his own subconscious for triggers. You know what I mean? One is going to be far more useful to me. It's like, yeah, he's racist, but at least he doesn't stink. <laughs> I can't, I can't work with a stinky woke guy. It's not going to work for me. It's hygiene, which any responsible company should do. But does it make a fundamental difference to your culture? I don't believe it does. I genuinely believe in much more active interventions. We've got to have an intervention about race in the workplace now. Oh, this is getting better and better. Sit the guy down who said the thing about, uh, geez, Jamaicans are really good at reggae. Uh, excuse me, that's a microaggression. We're going to have to have an intervention. Did you wash today? Can you pull out your phone, please? I want to see who your contacts are. That involves, the article continues, and that involves the boardrooms of all of our organisations and all of our companies across the UK. They aim high. I've got to give them that. Don't just level the recruitment playing field. I thought this was about equality. No, of course not, you idiot. You need to really focus on your people practices and your interview systems. Because if you've leveled the playing field, you still might not allow somebody to get through the door. Yeah, look at that. It's not good enough to have equal opportunity. If you have equal opportunity, then somebody may still may not get the job. And we can't allow that. It's not about equal opportunity. It's about getting the right people in the right positions. And the right people are always the non-white people. That's what we need to focus on. So... Maybe we should maybe we should start blockading the white people at the interview instead. Like, don't even let them get in there. I mean, the BBC, like I said, the BBC did this a couple of years ago. If you're white, don't call us. <laughs> We're not interested. Maybe that's... Well, it is on the BBC website. So it makes sense. It's actually considering that somebody with a 2-2 degree from a university in a really deprived area, which is where they were brought up, could be the equivalent of a first from Russell Group University. Look beyond universities. We had the first government-backed apprenticeship program in our industry sector, whereby we looked at people aged 18 to 24 that haven't been to university. We specifically looked at recruiting from areas where the schools had above-average exam results, but also an above-average reliance on subsidised school meals. See, I don't have a problem with this stuff. University isn't always the best marker of somebody's ability. It's just strange to me, though, that a certain, um, how can I say, a certain grouping in Western society over the last 40 years has essentially said, you're better off going to university and getting a sociology degree than you are getting involved in one of those male-dominated fucking trade industries, right? Everybody's got to go to university. Apparently. And now that you all have these useless degrees and you're making coffee for executives on Wall Street instead of writing poetry or something, now they're telling you, hey, get university, not that important. It's much more important that you're a poor person from a poor area with dark skin. That's what we're really looking for here. I don't care for that degree. It's quite difficult to keep up with these people. Blind CVs are only a start. If using anonymized CVs helps with sifting and getting people through the door because there's some sort of bias which is happening at the recruitment stage, I understand that. But at some point, you have to meet the person, even in the remote working world which we are now in. Whether it's through a laptop screen or whether it's face-to-face, -face, unless you've absolutely fundamentally looked at your recruitment system, and that system can sometimes perpetuate inequality then it doesn't make a bit of difference. So if <laughs> if you have the blind resume process where you have no idea whether the guy is male or female, what their background are, what their background is, etc., 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 that's not good enough because eventually you're going to meet them. And imagine how disappointed you'll be when you find the recruit of your life who ticks all the boxes, who didn't go to university, who comes from a poor area, who knows at least eight black people as contacts in their phone when they show up to the final interview and you see this awful, awful white face staring back at you. Oh. Imagine the embarrassment. Imagine the tragedy. Imagine trying to explain that to your CEO. I'm sorry, sir, I did everything I could to filter out the white men, but one still snuck in the door. You didn't hire him, did you? Of course not. 
got security to escort him off the premises as soon as I saw that white pasty skin in the car park. Well done. Well done, Johnson. You're promoted. <laughs> there you have it. Top 10 tips for diversifying your workplace, ladies and gentlemen. Keeping on race, I want to give you a little flashback here. Now, back on June 23, remember this? We played this clip of the captain of Burnley Football Club who gave one of the most cringeworthy sports interviews you've ever seen in your life. It wasn't even a sports interview. That's how cringe it was. So after the game, he was giving an interview. Now, before the game, Burnley's a, a soccer club in England. Before the game, one a Burnley fan flew a banner over the stadium behind a plane that said, All Lives Matter. And this happened while the players were taking a knee. And the captain of Burnley then spent a 10-minute post-game interview saying how shocked he was, how dismayed he was, he was disgusted, how most fans don't agree with that sentiment, how awful, how we all stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Movement and so on and so on. And the interviewer just kept asking questions, nothing about the fucking game, just kept asking questions about race and how you feel and isn't racism awful and are you angry, are you sad? Yes, yes, I'm very angry and sad. It was very cringe. You can watch the whole interview on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash boogie bumper. But during this interview, something caught uh, the ear of our ear while we were watching it. And remember, this is about a month ago. So I'm going to play this and then I'm going to show you something that's happening today. Have a listen to this, what we picked up on, like I said, over a month ago, ladies and gentlemen, in regards to kneeling during the anthem specifically. Uh, movement is trying to trying to achieve. I mean, you seem really angry. It's, it's part of that. I mean, it you, you seem really angry. Are you disgusted as well? Moments after you just taken a knee to show your own respect. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, you hear the plane above and you know, show your respect. <sighs> that that nearly slipped by me there. How about that one? That nearly that nearly. Did you catch that? Let's play it one more time here. Listen how listen how sneakily this is being turned around, right? So, like, a couple of examples, just for, like, a bit of context here. So, a couple of examples, right? The So, yesterday we did uh, the OK sign. So, before they would say uh, it's the OK sign, but sometimes it gets used by white supremacists, right? Now they're saying it's the white supremacist sign that also gets used as an OK sign. They've done the switcheroo. <clears throat> so have a listen to this. The plane was flying over. Are you angry because the fl the plane flew over your head moments after you took a knee to show respect to the movement? See, see what's going to happen here? If you don't kneel, you'll be disrespectful instead of the opposite. This time last year, taking a knee was disrespectful. They're just going to slowly turn it around so people who don't take a knee, they're the ones who are being disrespectful. You take a knee to show your respect. You stand up if you have no respect. If you're an awful person, you stand during the anthem. If you're an awful person, you stand for the flag and the anthem. That's what disrespectful people do. Respectful people, they take a knee. See how this happens? So subtly, so quietly. It's like you turn your head for a second and, you know, the pretty girl at the bar switches the drinks around and puts the poison in your glass. You know what I mean? So there you have it. We're back live now. That was a month ago, ladies and gentlemen. And there was a couple of occasions since then where I would, I would just point to corporate media reporting and say, look, look, it's happening here. They're turning it around on you. They're turning the argument around. This time last year... Kneeling was a sign of disrespect to the anthem and the flag, and they're going to do the switcheroo. Now, if you don't, if you don't kneel, you're the one that's being disrespectful. So, to that end, ladies and gentlemen, I had this article sent to me. Here we are. Why Giants Sam Coonrod didn't kneel in a Black Lives Matter moment of unity. Gabe Kapler spent most of this week delivering powerful messages with his actions and words, but inside the Giants' clubhouse, the manager was crystal clear with his players. 
They did not have to do anything with which they were uncomfortable. They would not be viewed any differently if they chose to take a knee during the national anthem or if they chose to stand. On Thursday night before the season opener against the Dodgers, many of the Giants again chose to kneel during the anthem, but it was a moment before which really stood out. One moment really stood out. What stood out? The one guy who didn't want to kneel. Every player and coach from both teams took a knee before the anthem and held a long piece of black fabric in a moment of unity with the exception of one. The outlier was Sam Coonrod, a second-year Giants reliever who said after the game that he is a Christian and, quote, can't kneel before anything besides God. Boo! Boo! How dare you! He also said he does not agree with some of what he has heard about the Black Lives Matter movement. He said, and I quote, I'm a Christian, and like I said, I just can't get on board with a couple of things I have read about Black Lives Matter, how they lean toward Marxism, and how they have had some negative things about the how they have said some negative things about the nuclear family. I just can't get on board with that. Coonrod said he did not have a chance to talk to teammates including African-American outfielder Jalen Davis. He should have cleared his disrespectful action of not kneeling during the anthem with a black guy on the team first, I think, at least. That's what a responsible player would do. He should have gone up to the black guy on the team and said, do I have your permission to not kneel? Is that okay? Am I allowed to do that? Is that okay by you? I'm sorry. I'm I'm terribly sorry. He should have asked first. Before the game because he did not know, he did not know about the display until very late in the day. So just before he walks out, they tell him, "Oh, by the way, we're all kneeling." <laughs> when a teammate informed him of what was going to happen, Coonrod said he decided he could not kneel and it was too late at that point to talk to anybody about the decision. See, he has to clear whether he does or not. He has to clear if it's okay to stand. See how it's being switched around on you? Just like we predicted it would. And again, this is this is why I say shit like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you learn how to read the subtext of the trends of corporate media reporting, you'll see how often the tail is wagging the dog, how the cart is before the horse, leading you around by the nose. The Yankees and Nationals all took a knee before the anthem in Washington, D.C. earlier in the night as part of a player-led movement that had the full support of Major League Baseball. See, now, when the boss is on board with kneeling, now you become the outsider. The idea reportedly came from giant Andrew McClutchin, who told ESPN that the black fabric was socially distanced, a socially distanced way to link arms and show unity. Players also wore patches and Black Lives Matter t-shirts during batting practice they are taking over sports <laughs> i've said this before and i'll say it again unironically whoever is in charge of marketing at black lives matter needs to start an advertising firm it would be the biggest and most successful they are advertising geniuses they are marketing geniuses you think about it in three months they have gotten all of the top corporations and sporting corporations on planet earth all parroting their message no advertising agency in the history of the world has ever been able to achieve that kind of coverage. They really are. They're geniuses at what they do. Like them or hate them. The Giants have been a big part of that this week. And during the anthem Thursday, Kapler and several players and coaches, including Davis, Pablo Sandoval, Hunter Pence, Mike Yastrzemski, and Trevor Gott again took a knee. Mookie Betts was the only Dodger to take a knee during the anthem, but it was moments before it when Coonrod stood out. He stood out. I meant no ill will by it. I don't think I'm better than anyone, Coonrod. See how he's being forced to... He has to explain his decision. He's being forced to explain himself for not kneeling. Again, in just three short months... We have gone from people explaining why they're kneeling to people who kneel demanding explanations from those who don't. That's how quickly, you know, mob groupthink can overcome an organisation. Like wildfire. 
I chose not to kneel. I felt that if I did kneel, I would be being a hypocrite. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Like I said, I didn't mean any ill will toward anyone. Not good enough, Sam. Not good enough. Have a look at this. Taking a stand against inequality shouldn't be controversial. Every player and staff member from four MLB teams took a knee before last night's opening slate of games to make a statement about inequality. Every single one of them, except Giants reliever Sam Coonrod. They're really hunting for this guy now. I thought we were supposed to have uncomfortable conversations. Remember that? Hey, people should be allowed. Remember last year? When people should be allowed to protest at an, NF an NFL game or at a sports game by kneeling. Okay, so now everybody's protesting. So it's no longer a protest. Now it's part of the corporation policy. And to protest is to actually stand instead of kneel. And the same people who said that everybody should have a right to protest are now lambasting the people who don't go along with the line. Isn't it fucking cute? They're now attacking the people who are doing their own protest. But, and again, ironically, standing during the national anthem is now the protest, believe it or not. They'll say, they'll say, oh no, of course it's not. But when everybody else and the governing body is saying, well, we'd like people to kneel, one can only draw the conclusion that standing now is the protest against the norm. And they're now singling this guy out. Look at him, he's standing out like a sore thumb. He was the only one who didn't go along with our new policy. How dare he? The moment was not a protest. It was a carefully constructed display coordinated and approved by Major League Baseball. <laughs> See, again, 12 months ago, the carefully constructed displays coordinated and approved by the sporting body would have been standing there with your cap on your chest while the anthem plays and the flag is raised, right? But now the protest has become the coordinated approved messaging from Major League Baseball. It's amazing. So by definition, by this author's own words, by definition, standing during that coordinated and approved display, his words, standing during that and not taking part, that's now the protest. It was as provocative as you would expect a corporately sanctioned statement to be. The Freeman narration, they, they, by the way, they played uh, a pre-recorded message from Morgan Freeman over the top. Remember the Morgan Freeman who a few years ago was uh, going after Don Lemon for thinking that everything's about race? They're now using Morgan Freeman's voice in pre-recorded messages during baseball games. Have a look at this. In order to achieve effective change and create huh? a new campus. Huh? They got Morgan now. Empathy must lead the charge. This moment signifies... How about that? Had to get Morgan in. Our unity. Equality and unity cannot be until there is empathy. How about that, huh? They roped Morgan in. Coonrod was the only player on the Yankees, Nationals, Dodgers or Giants to stay on his feet while everyone else knelt. Quote, he stood out like a sore thumb. Yep. How dare he? How dare he protest a display? Asked to explain himself after the game, because obviously people were demanding some kind of explanation from the guy who wouldn't show his respect to the movement because that's the new normal now, because they've successfully switched the impetus around on the people who don't kneel. Now they're the disrespectful ones. Again, just like we said it would happen a month ago on this very show. If a century, he, he, the article continues, he cited his religion. Uh, I can't, I can't kneel before anything but God, Jesus Christ. I chose not to kneel. If I kneel, I'd be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Listen to this. If a central tenet of Christianity is treating others with love and respect, it's not clear how not joining a call for just that would be hypocritical. That's right. Yeah. See, <laughs> you know, I would like to be wrong sometimes. You know what I mean? Like when I said this is going to happen, the people who don't kneel are going to become the disrespectful ones. When I said that a month ago, I would like to be wrong. But <laughs> here it is in black and white. Explain yourself. 
Oh, you call yourself a Christian. Don't you think kneeling, joining in the corporate approved Black Lives Matter demonstration is a sign of respect? Don't you think you're being disrespectful? Like clockwork. <laughs> he said, and I quote, I can't get on board with a couple of things I've read about Black Lives Matter, how they lean toward Marxism and have said some negative things about the nuclear family. He said, the author then writes, yes, the founders of the organization Black Lives Matter have referred to themselves as, quote, trained Marxists, a quote that has spread like wildfire by some attempting to discredit them. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, what? So, referring to them as the thing they refer to themselves as is trying to discredit somebody now. Do you see how, do you see how much these people hate truth? They have a visceral underlying rage against reality. Sure, they've called themselves trained Marxists, but if you think of them as Marxists, that's because you're trying to discredit them. Wow. So just shut up, kneel, and show your respect to the trained Marxists. But don't you refer to them as trained Marxists, even though they call themselves trained Marxists, because that's what a white supremacist would do. So you're allowed to refer to them as trained Marxists if you are a Marxist. If you're not a Marxist, you're, not, you're supposed to pretend like the Marxism thing doesn't exist. <laughs> Isn't it grand? Coonrod seems to be missing the point of the ribbon display, the author continues. It was meant to be an anodyne alternative to actual protest. Even if you believe that kneeling during the anthem is somehow disrespectful to the military, kneeling during a Morgan Freeman speech gives you another way to show your support without risking blowback. And in fact, last night only a handful of Dodgers and Giants were brave enough to kneel during the anthem. Luckily for Coonrod, it doesn't sound like his decision will drive a wedge in the clubhouse. Luckily for him, he's just a white guy, so fuck him. <laughs> just ignore the guy. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to say I told you so. Well, that's not true. I love saying I told you so. Told you so. We knew it would happen. If you don't kneel now, you're the disrespectful one. And our final item for tonight, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this pre-recorded version of the Daily Boogie. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday and Friday. We, we spoke about coon cheese not that long ago. Many people didn't believe it was true, but yes, there has been a brand of cheese in this country for decades and decades and decades and decades called Coon. When we were talking about all of the companies changing their names, uh, this fight for coon cheese has been going on for about 20 years. Well, good news, they finally caved. It's the end of racism. Well done, everyone. Well done. Now, it was named after the founder of the company. His name was Mr. Coon. <laughs> but his name is now racist now. You'll be pleased to know. Coon Cheese changing its name in a bid to eliminate racism. Yes, this is an actual statement from the company, believe it or not. Cheese brand Coon will change its name in a bid to, quote, help eliminate racism in all of its forms. <laughs> Imagine being a cheesemaker and thinking that you wield this kind of power. <laughs> well, if only we changed our name, that would be the end of racism. <laughs> oh, God. The brand's parent, Canadian Company. See, I, I have to put my hand up here. I didn't know that Coon Cheese was owned by a Canadian company. I don't know when that happened. And isn't it so unlike Canadians to fold in the face of social justice pressure? Isn't that so unlike them? I thought Canadians were really based, you know? I thought they didn't care. I thought they were culturally confident. So this is very, this is out of character for our Canadian brothers and sisters. The Canadian parent company, Saputo, made the announcement today saying the company wanted to align with, quote, current attitudes and perspectives <laughs> about cheese. At Saputo, 
One of our basic principles as an organization is to treat people with respect and without discrimination. How how does the name of your cheese treat people? How is that discriminatory? Having a cheese named after the guy who invented it. It's, I don't know how you're treating people with disrespect by naming, by keeping the name of the company of the guy who invented the fucking product. We will not condone behavior that goes against this, a statement read. As such, we performed a careful and diligent review of a sensitive situation involving one of our brands, trying so careful. It's like walking through a minefield. These people have to construct their words so carefully because every single word will be pounced on as evidence of racism or discrimination or offensive behavior. It's, it, it's fucking exhausting. It really is. We wanted to ensure we listened to all the concerns surrounding the Coon brand name while also considering comments from consumers who cherish the brand and recognize the origin of its founder, Edward William Kuhn, which they feel connected to. After thorough consideration, Saputo has decided decided to retire the Kuhn brand name. <laughs> so we listened to everybody, including the people who liked it, and we decided to go with the outrage. <laughs> We decided to go with the ones who were getting angry on Twitter. <laughs> Another successful decision, sir. Well done. We are working to develop a new brand name that will honor the brand affinity felt by our valued customers. <laughs> you don't value them much at all. If they're buying the product regardless, if they were buying it when it was called Coon Cheese, then they obviously weren't concerned with the name of Coon. If you're a successful company, and the, and the brand name is apparently so offensive, then who are the ones being offended? It's the ones who aren't buying your product. I would have thought that was fairly obvious. Apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. While aligning with current attitudes and perspectives, we believe we all share in a responsibility to eliminate racism in all of its forms, including cheese racism, and we feel this is an important step we must take to uphold this commitment. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. So uh, let's do this because it's the end of Kuhn. Racism is over. We're cancelling racism, ladies and gentlemen. So this was a favourite when we played it last time. It's an old Kuhn cheese commercial from down here in Australia from back in the day, I think the late 80s. So let's do it one more time as we say goodbye to the racist cheese brand known as Coon, ladies and gentlemen. This story is sad, for no one was pleased when young Jenny Malone, ha, she bought the wrong cheese, cause it always goes down like a lead balloon when the family comes home to a house with no Coon. That's right, folks. You can always rely on Coon cheese because Coon cheese is made the way good cheese should be good made. Cheese. So don't let your home be a house with no Coon. Have it. Don't let your home be a house with no Coon, ladies and gentlemen. Get some Coon in there. <laughs> and actually, while I was looking for that one, just before we go, while I was looking for that commercial, I came across this one because this has opened up. This has opened up Pandora's box now when it comes to offensive names. Uh, people outside Australia like to make jokes about Australian place names and like we've got funny names, Woolamaloo, for example, Warnambool. Like we have funny names for things. Um, but if Coon is now offensive, <laughs> this is a Coon cheese commercial from 1994. I'm, I'm here to tell you, the fight to eliminate racism has only just begun. Wait until we get into all of these places. Again, I just found this by chance, by happenstance, when I was looking for the other video. Wait until we start lobbying all of these councils to have their name changed as well. Have a look at this, Coon Cheese commercial from 1994. G'day. Come and I'll show you some of my favourite spots around Australia. So what have we got? Coonamble, Coonawarra, Coonabarabran. 
There's a whole bunch of coons out there we need to get rid of. <laughs> G'day. Come and I'll show you some of my favourite spots around Australia. Gotta get rid of all the coons. Coonamble, Coonalpin, Coonnewa Bridge. Stuck the fridge. Coonawarra, Coongoomerang, Coonabarabran. Love that coon taste. Now let's talk to some real cheese experts. You mean coon cheese? Too many coons. <laughs> See what I mean? You need coon cheese for 60 years or more. Me too. 60 years? Come on. All around Australia, people love that great coon taste. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Got to get rid of them all. With that, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this Monday night pre-recorded edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. I'll be back Wednesday and Friday to do it all over again. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you to everyone who contributed on DLive. And thank you for sharing the show out. If you'd like to become a full-time supporter of the show, then please, by all means, head to patreon.com slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course... If you would like to complain about your coon cheese, and you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Uh, don't forget to follow our friends at Real Person PLTCS, Why Censored, Mr. America, The Beard of Truth, Winning TV, UK Neil, Rusty. Congratulations to Rusty, double four, double three, the Iceman, by the way, getting his affiliate status. Well done. Uh, Nightwave Radio with Mersh, everybody's favorite lover of French women later on tonight. Irrational Times, ladies and gentlemen, Coffee Talk with Sandra. Uh, the Sunday Night Shit Show, Spend D, Frozen Asian. Uh, Big Empty, Major Tom, Joy of Pessy, and anybody else I might have forgotten. Thank you so much for joining us. Do follow our friends. Support the shows that support us. Until Wednesday night, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.